Section 62 of England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The World Story, Volume 10. England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. Edited by Ava March Tappan. Section 62. The Beer Rite. Latter part of the 14th century. By Sir Walter Scott. The husband of Magdalen Proudfute has been slain, and it is suspected that some one of the followers of Sir John Ramornay was his murderer. The test of Beerite has been decided upon, that is, every member of Sir John's household must kneel beside the beer and take a solemn oath of his own innocence. It was a belief of the time that if this oath was false, the wounds of the murdered man would straightway burst open and begin to bleed afresh. The Editor it was, therefore, after high mass had been performed with the greatest solemnity of which circumstances rendered the ceremony capable, and after the most repeated and fervent prayers had been offered to heaven by the crowded assembly, that preparations were made for appealing to the direct judgment of heaven on the mysterious murder of the unfortunate bonnet-maker. The scene presented that effect of imposing solemnity which the rites of the Catholic Church are so well qualified to produce. The eastern window, richly and variously painted, streamed down a torrent of checkered light upon the high altar. On the bier placed before it were stretched the mortal remains of the murdered man, his arms folded on his breast, and his palms joined together, with the fingers pointed upwards, as if the senseless clay was itself appealing to heaven for vengeance against those who had violently divorced the immortal spirit from its mangled tenement. Close to the bier was placed a throne which supported Robert of Scotland and his brother Albany. The prince sat upon a lower stool beside his father, an arrangement which occasioned some observation, as, Albany's seat being little distinguished from that of the king, the heir apparent, though full of age, seemed to be degraded beneath his uncle in the sight of the assembled people of Perth. The bier was so placed as to leave the view of the body it sustained open to the greater part of the multitude assembled in the church. At the head of the bier stood the knight of Kinfons, the challenger, and at the foot the young Earl of Crawford, as representing the defendant. The evidence of the Duke of Rothsay and expurgation, as it was termed, of Sir John Ramornay had exempted him from the necessity of attendance as a party subjected to the ordeal, and his illness served as a reason for his remaining at home. His household, including those who, though immediately in waiting upon Sir John, were accounted the prince's domestics, and had not yet received their dismissal, amounted to eight or ten persons, most of them esteemed men of profligate habits, and who might therefore be deemed capable, in the riot of a festival evening, of committing the slaughter of the bonnet-maker. They were drawn up in a row on the left side of the church, and wore a species of white cassock, resembling the dress of a penitentiary. All eyes being bent on them, Several of this band seemed so much disconcerted as to excite among the spectators strong prepossessions of their guilt. The real murderer had a countenance incapable of betraying him, a sullen, dark look which neither the feast nor wine-cup could enliven, and which the peril of discovery and death could not render dejected. We have already noticed the posture of the dead body. The face was bare, as were the breast and arms. 
the rest of the corpse was shrouded in a winding sheet of the finest linen so that if blood should flow from any place which was covered it could not fail to be instantly manifest high mass having been performed followed by a solemn invocation to the deity that he would be pleased to protect the innocent and make known the guilty eviot sir john ramornay's page was summoned to undergo the ordeal he advanced with an ill-assured step perhaps he thought his internal consciousness that bonthorn must have been the assassin might be sufficient to implicate him in the murder though he was not directly accessory to it he paused before the bier and his voice faltered as he swore by all that was created in seven days and seven nights by heaven by hell by his part of paradise and by the god and author of all that he was free and sackless of the bloody deed done upon the corpse before which he stood and on whose breast he made the sign of the cross in evidence of the appeal no consequences ensued the body remained stiff as before the curdled wounds gave no sign of blood the citizens looked on each other with faces of blank disappointment they had persuaded themselves of eviot's guilt and their suspicions had been confirmed by his irresolute manner their surprise at his escape was therefore extreme the other followers of ramornay took heart and advanced to take the oath with a boldness which increased as one by one they performed the ordeal and were declared by the voice of the judges free and innocent of every suspicion attaching them on the account of the death of oliver proudfute but there was one individual who did not partake that increasing confidence the name of bonthron bonthron sounded three times through the aisles of the church but he who owned it acknowledged the call no otherwise than by a sort of shuffling motion with his feet as if he had been suddenly affected with a bit of palsy speak dog whispered eviot or prepare for a dog's death but the murderer's brain was so much disturbed by the sight before him that the judges beholding his deportment doubted whether to ordain him to be dragged before the bier or to pronounce judgment in default and it was not until he was asked for the last time whether he would submit to the ordeal that he answered with his usual brevity i will not what do i know what juggling tricks may be practised to take a poor man's life i offer the combat to any man who says i harm that dead body and according to a usual form he threw his glove upon the floor of the church henry the smith stepped forward amidst the murmured applauses of his fellow-citizens which even the august presence could not entirely suppress and lifting the ruffian's glove which he had placed in his bonnet laid down his own in the usual form as a gauge of battle but bonthorn raised it not he is no match for me growled the savage nor fit to lift my glove i follow the prince of scotland in attending on his master of horse this fellow is a wretched mechanic here the prince interrupted him thou follow me caitiff i discharge thee from my service on the spot take him in hand smith and beat him as thou didst ever thump an anvil the villain is both guilty and recreant it sickens me to even look at him and if my royal father will be ruled by me he will give the parties two handsome scottish axes and we will see which of them turns out the best fellow before the day is half an hour older this was readily assented to by the earl of crawford and sir patrick charteris the godfathers of the parties who as the combatants were men of inferior rank agreed that they should fight in steel caps buff jackets and with axes and that as soon as they could be prepared for the combat 
The lists were appointed at the Skinner's Yards, a neighboring space of ground occupied by the corporation from which it had the name, and who quickly cleared a space of about thirty feet by twenty-five for the combatants. Thither thronged the nobles, priests, and commons, all excepting the old king, who, detesting such scenes of blood, retired to his residence, and devolved the charge of the field upon the Earl of Errol, Lord High Constable, to whose office it more particularly belonged. The Duke of Albany watched the whole proceeding with a close and wary eye. His nephew gave the scene the heedless degree of notice which corresponded with his character. When the combatants appeared in the lists, nothing could be more striking than the contrast betwixt the manly, cheerful countenance of the smith, whose sparkling eye seemed already beaming with the victory he had hoped for, and the sullen, downcast aspect of the brutal Bonfron, who looked as if there were some obscene bird driven into sunshine out of the shelter of its darksome haunts. They made oaths severally, each to the truth of his quarrel, a ceremony which Henry Gow performed with a serene and manly confidence, Bonthron with a dogged resolution which induced the Duke of Rothsey to say to the High Constable, Didst thou ever, my dear Errol, behold such a mixture of malignity, cruelty, and I think fear as in that fellow's countenance? He is not comely, said the Earl, but a powerful knave as I have seen. I'll gauge a hogshead of wine with you, my good lord, that he loses the day. Henry the armorer is as strong as he, and much more active. And then look at his bold bearing. There is something in that other fellow that is loathsome to look upon. Let them yoke presently, my dear constable, for I am sick of beholding him. The high constable then addressed the widow, who in her deep weeds, and having her children still beside her, occupied a chair within the lists. Woman, do you willingly accept of this man, Henry the smith, to do battle as your champion in this cause? I do, I do most willingly, answered Magdalen Proudfute, and may the blessing of God and St. John give him the strength and fortune, since he strikes for the orphan and the fatherless. Then I pronounce this a fenced field of battle, said the constable aloud. Let no one dare, upon peril of his life, to interrupt this combat by word, speech, or look. Sound trumpets and fight, combatants. The trumpets flourished, and the combatants, advancing from opposite ends of the lists, with a steady and even pace, looked at each other attentively. Well skilled in judging from the motion of the eye the direction in which a blow was meditated, they halted opposite to and within reach of each other, and in turn made more than one feint to strike, in order to ascertain the activity and vigilance of the opponent. At length, whether weary of these maneuvers, or fearing less than a contest so conducted his unwieldy strength would be foiled by the activity of the smith, Bonthron heaved up his axe for a downright blow, adding the whole strength of his sturdy arms to the weight of the weapon in his descent. The smith, however, avoided the stroke by stepping aside, for it was too forcible to be controlled by any guard which he could have interposed. Ere Bonthron recovered guard, Henry struck him a sidling blow on the steel headpiece, which prostrated him on the ground. Confess or die, said the victor, placing his foot on the body of the vanquished, and holding to his throat the point of the axe, which terminated in a spike or poniard. I will confess, said the villain, glaring wildly upward on the sky. Let me rise. Not till you have yielded, said Harry the smith. I do yield, again murmured Bonthron, 
and Henry proclaimed aloud that his antagonist was defeated. The dukes of Rosse and Albany, the high constable and the Dominican prior now entered the lists, and, addressing Bontran, demanded if he acknowledged himself vanquished. I do, answered the miscreant. And guilty of the murder of Oliver Proudfute? I am. End of section 62. This recording is in the public domain.